All right, folks, if you have your Bible, um, if you could open it at Second Peter, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 15. John's going to start a mini-series, a short series in this book. So if you could follow along, and I think it's on the screen as, as well. It's actually going to 21, is it? Or it's 15, John? 15's fine. Okay, it's grand. Okay, starting from verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he is so cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let me pray for John, just as he comes up. Uh, Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity just to gather again. Lord, we just thank you for the blessing of the gathered church, the gathered church, your people coming together to sing your praises, to worship you, and to give you glory. Lord, we thank you again for a new day. Lord, we live in times where a new day can't always be taken for granted in the way that it has in the past. And Lord, we just pray uh, for our community at this time. Lord, we pray for the hurts that are in our community. Lord, we pray for the hurts in our community that are unknown to us at this point. Lord, that you will reveal to us. Lord, that we will be in people's lives to the point where we know what's going on and we will meet them at the point of their need, Lord, but we will meet them at the point of their need with the gospel, the true solution, and the true thing that they really, really need. Lord, we pray as we move out of summer and towards a new uh, series of ministries starting up again, Lord, we pray that you will put in us a fire, Lord, a fire that may have been lost over the last year. Lord, that you will ignite in us evangelism and a love for you that pours out into our community and pours out amongst us in this body as well, that we will love each other, that we will be united in the love of Christ. And Lord, I pray for John now as he comes, that these words that he speaks, we know that they are words of life. But Lord, that the words that are spoken will be convicting, will be encouraging, will meet us at the point where we need them to meet us, to bring more glory to Jesus. 
but ultimately it's about Him. That's His, his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave, for that. Morning, everyone. Morning, everyone. Morning. Good to be back. Uh, obviously, people have forgot that I'm a dwarf, uh, and we'll need to lower this. Uh, big, tall Pete Meek was here last week, so uh, yeah, I'll have to lower this. Carlin, can I ask you a question before we start? You know, in your intro, when you were saying about the person that you know you ask how they're doing, and they always say they're fantastic, and they, was that me? <laughs> Some bars. Definitely not me. Uh, good morning. Good to be back with you. Good to be back in this mini-series of Second Peter, or 2 Peter, depending on where you're from. Uh, and what we're going to be doing is over the next three weeks, we're just going to be looking at this book. Uh, it fits uh, as we go into September. We're going to do three weeks in this, and then I'm considering doing our core values again as we move into September, into our new season of church life. But it's good to be back. Let me start off with something real fun uh, as, we, as we mean to go on. Uh, a last will and testament. That's good crack, isn't it? Let's, let's kick it off the way we mean to go on. Let's talk about things that dead people leave. Let's do that. Right, so a last will and testament. Everyone knows what that is. That is the instructions that you leave behind before you die. These are weighty things. Uh, they consist of things like funeral arrangements, and they consist of what you want to be what you want done with your finances, and they consist of uh, if, if, you know, if children, what you want done with them. Uh, just for example, uh, I think Yale Graham has her will, last will and testament done. She wants us to book the waterfront for her funeral. Uh, I am simply just praying that I'm gone before her, because I couldn't bear that, literally could not. But that's, but, but they're, they're weighty things. They're not trite things. They're significant things, last will and testaments. And many scholars suggest that Peter writes this letter, this second Peter, as that. It's testamentary. It's what he wants to leave with the churches. It's his last will and testament. And that makes it very significant indeed. As I say, they're not trite things. They're solemn things, weighty things, things you would never discard, things that you would weigh up, things that you would read carefully. You make decisions based on them. And so when we come to Second Peter, we come to it with care. We come to it meticulously. We want to see what Peter would have say, not just to the churches then, but to us. Because that's the way we must come to the Bible. We must come to the Bible, uh, the then and there and the here and now. What's, what's Peter saying then? But what's he saying now? What's he saying to the, the guys who were in the, in the first century church? But what's he saying to us? Right here in Cornerstone today, what's he saying to us? And so it's very important information that we're going to receive over the next three weeks. Notice the context of Peter's life here. Peter is likely a man in his, his mid-60s. As he writes, he, he clearly is anticipating his last days. He's, he's coming to the last days of his life, and, he, and, he, and he, he's anticipating that, as he says, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, he says... Uh, that, that his own in, uh, imminent death was coming. And you may remember, you may know, if you're familiar with uh, John, the, the Gospel of John, which we're in, which we'll get back to. But in John 21, Jesus says this to Peter about his own death. 
He says, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then John adds, Jesus said this to show him what kind of death Peter, by which kind of death Peter was to die to glorify God. And in due course, of, and in due course Peter, we know by, through tradition, was crucified in Rome in the last half of the 60s AD. And so this letter is just written before that. Peter knows what's coming. He knows he's going to die soon. And he wants to write to the churches to tell them what they need to know. And what they need to know is really interesting. And that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. What's the crux of the letter? What, what, what is the gist? What's, the, what's Peter going after here in this letter? And, and what we'll find, is it's really, really interesting. What he wants us to know and what he wants to stir them up to know and what he wants to stir us up to know is the same things. The same things that he's always preached. The same things that Jesus left him to preach. That's what he wants the churches to know and that's what he wants us to know. Isn't it interesting that, that as he faces his death, as he knows he's going to believe and he's going to be in the presence of Jesus very, very soon again, he says, I want to stir you up to remember the things that you know. Peter doesn't want the church, and he himself didn't invent new things. He pointed them back to the old truths that he had always preached since Jesus left him to do so. And here's why he doesn't want us inventing new things when it comes to the truth. Or he didn't want the church inventing new things when it comes to the truth. One commentator put it like this. This is why. Because you don't grow out of the gospel. You grow up in Christian maturity. When you grow up in Christian maturity. No, you go down into the gospel more and more. That's how you grow up in Christian maturity. You don't grow out of the gospel, you go into it more and more, and that's how we get Christian maturity. And so the crux of the letter that Peter writes to the churches, and the crux of the letter that Peter writes to the churches and wants us to hear today is this, remember, remember, remember the old truths that I have been teaching you from day one, the gospel. That's what he wants them to remember. And so let's look at... at chapter 1 here, and see what Peter would say to us today and remind us, that we might grow. That's the point. That's Peter wants the church, the people in the churches to grow, and, 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 and we as we gather here today, that's the goal of why we're here. We want to worship and we want to grow. So how are we going to do that? The first thing Peter says is this, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's really the first point, if you are taking notes, if you want to take a mental note even of, of my first point today, this would be it. Every believer is given equal faith. Every believer is given equal faith. Look at it there. To those who have obtained a faith of equal 
standing with ours. Simeon, Peter, remember who this guy is. If you know the New Testament, if you know the Gospels, you'll know that he was the impulsive. He was the passionate. He was the hot-headed. He was the one who, when Jesus made any statement, Peter was the first one there with the answer, I am your man. Uh, Jesus says, who am I? Peter's the first one there. He said, you're the Christ. On the boat, who's the first one to get out of the boat? Peter's the first one to get out of the boat. He's the one, he's the hot-headed. He's the one that chops off the ear. You know, he is there. He's the man. Or at least he thinks he is. He's bold, impulsive, passionate, hot-headed. He was the one who was always quick to claim what his faith could never deliver. I will never deny you, Peter said to Jesus in the upper room. And we know that Peter denied Christ three times. But here in Second Peter, that Peter is gone. That same Peter has matured. All traces of the rash, prideful, you know, just bold, blatantly disregarding others is gone. And it's really interesting, you'll, you'll, you'll maybe notice this when it was read, but it's really interesting how Peter frames his own name, Simeon Peter. Simeon Peter. He gives the Hebrew version of his name first. Why was that? Who's this, who's this, who's this letter written to? It's, it's, the letter is written to mostly Gentile audience, so what's he doing? He gives his Hebrew version of his name, then he gives his name. But, but what's he doing? Is he distancing himself from his actual listeners? No. What he's doing is he has come to a place in his life where he's saying, this is not about us being different. This is about us, even though we're different, this is about us being united in Christ. And he claims his, he claims his Hebrew heritage. He's not, he's not ashamed of it, but he's saying, listen, it's there, but we're together. We're together. We have obtained a faith of equal standing. What a change from the Peter that is mentioned in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, Peter was going well, seemed to be grasping the gospel. It's hard to believe that we're talking about Peter as someone who's grasping the gospel, but he seems to be getting the gospel. And all of a sudden, some Jewish friends turn up and what does he do? He distanced himself from the, from the Gentiles until Paul comes along. And Paul says, wise up. We're all one. Paul writes that he opposes Peter to his face. This is a different Peter. A different Peter. But it's a Peter where the gospel has took his heart and changed him and matured him to see that we all have obtained an equal faith if we are in Christ Jesus. It's taken him a little time to get there. And that in itself should encourage us. 
that in itself should encourage us that it takes us some time to get there sometimes. But if we're in Christ, we are all in the same faith to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. This is a level playing field. We who are in Christ are all sinners saved by grace. Some have not received more grace than others. No, we are equal. Equal. And brothers and sisters, I want, to, I want this truth to deeply encourage you today. Because I know that there are some of you in here who think you have less faith than others. Or think you're not as holy as others. Or think you're not as righteous as others. But I want to point you to this text. And I want to say that Peter says to you, to those who have obtained an equal faith. Through what? The righteousness of Christ. You have obtained a faith of equal standing. So therefore, don't look down on yourself. Stop it. Stop thinking that you have received less than others. And don't let others look down on you as if you have received less than them. And please, 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 do not look down on others as if you have received more than them. We have obtained a faith of equal standing. And I suppose I've been thinking about this. I was thinking of this late last night. I suppose of a very real-time application of this, real-time, is how we speak to brothers and sisters and deal with brothers and sisters in the situation that we're in at the moment. With the complexities of the world that we live in. With, do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Do we get vaccinated? Do we not get vaccinated? All these things are causing controversy. All these things are causing tension. And the reality is, the reality is, let me be extremely clear, the Bible is silent. And so there are issues of conscience. We go by the PHA guidelines as best we can, but the Bible is silent, so there are conscience issues. And so let me just say this as point of pastoral, uh, on a pastoral note, be kind. Bear with one another. Respect other people's opinion. Don't look down on someone because they have a different opinion than you. Love one another. We, the elders, will be putting out uh, a bit of a message to the members on Tuesday around these issues because we just feel we need to. Uh, so look out for that. But that's all I want to say on that at the minute. We have obtained a faith of equal standing. Don't look down on yourself. Don't think less of yourself than you ought. But also don't think more of yourself than you ought. We are all sinners saved by grace. A faith of equal standing. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see from this passage is this. Look at verse 2 and 3. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God, of our, our, 
of our God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and his excellence. Look at the greeting. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace was a common, uh, that's, that's a common way that, that, that Greek people would, would introduce themselves or, or announce themselves to one another. And, and peace is the traditional shalom, Hebrew way. And so, so Peter includes both. He includes both. He says, I want grace and peace to be multiplied to you. They sum up, grace and peace sum up more or less every spiritual blessing that we can think of. I want you to have more grace. I want you to have more peace, Peter says. But he says this, I know where to get them. Look at it. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. You want more grace? You want more peace? Anybody? No. I'll take that. I'll take more grace, more peace all day long. If you're giving it out, I'll take it. Peter says, I know where you get it. In the knowledge of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we get it. That's where we get more grace and more peace. And this is where he's saying, I want to remind you, I want to stir you up to the old things that I've always taught you. He's just pointing us back to Jesus all the time. This is not rocket science. He's just always pointing us towards Christ. I want you to know Jesus. That's where you get it. That's where you get more grace. That's where you get more peace. We often, unfortunately, look for those things in, in loads of other places. We look for more grace and more peace in our, in our bank account. We look for it in our family. We look for it in education. We look for it in, in entertainment. We, we, we look for it in all those places. And Peter says, you'll not find it. You will not find it in those things at all. You'll find it in the knowledge of Jesus Christ once you know him and know him more. Now, let me be clear. When Peter's talking about knowing, he's not just talking about head knowledge. He's talking about knowing Jesus. Having a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Not knowing the facts. Not knowing the stories but knowing the person. Not knowing the facts, not knowing the stories, but knowing the person. And I want to ask you just simply, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Or do you know the stories? Do you know the facts about him? Or do you know him? Are you in an ever-increasing knowledge of him? If you want grace and peace, that's the only place to find it. Peter goes on then to tell us something that I think probably is one of the most overlooked facts in the Christian life. That's a big statement. That's a massive statement to make. And I probably do use a bit of hyperbole now and again in sermons. But... Uh, I think this is one of the most overlooked facts in the Christian faith. Look at it. May grace, may, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our, Lord, of our God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us what? Is anybody reading it? His divine power has granted to us what? All things. All things. 
that pertain to life and godliness through the, through the what? Knowledge of Him. Through knowing Him. Basically, look at me if you're a believer in Christ. You have everything you need for godliness and to live a godly, holy life. That's what the Bible says. Everything. You have all the tools at your disposal. Some of you will know, some of you may well not know, but I used to be, and someone, some probably would dispute this, uh, I used to be an electrician. If you're talking to Keith McGaugh, he would heavily dispute that fact. But I was an electrician, and I think it comes with being an electrician that you just, you just make stuff work. You try to make stuff work. It doesn't matter what, what it is or where it is or what tools you have. You just try to make it work. And if you know any electricians, you'll know this. All they need to make anything work is a pair of pliers. Anything. Literally. I, there's nothing I wouldn't tackle with, a, with just a pair of pliers. As long as you have a pair of pliers, you're good to go. That's it. That's all you need. A pair of pliers. Maybe a screwdriver, maybe not. And it, I'll be honest, 70% of the time it works. The other 30 other percent of the time you could ask Julia, it probably doesn't work. And things probably end up worse than they were. But here's the reality. I think sometimes in the Christian life, we as Christians can think God has handed us a pair of pliers and said, there you are, do everything. There you are. There's a pair of pliers. Go and build a house. I'm not saying I wouldn't tackle it, but that's the way we think. We think that we have not got everything we need to carry out the job, and that's just not true. The Bible tells us that we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Again, that's how they come to us, through knowing him, through knowing Jesus. Do you see, genuinely, and I'm standing here now and I'm just, just sort of, do you see how simple this letter is? Peter's telling us these things over and over. He's, he's telling us, you know, who you are. You have obtained an equal faith. How have you obtained an equal faith? You've obtained that equal faith through Jesus. Peter's telling us that we have all that we need for the Christian life, godliness. And, and How have you got that? Through Jesus. It's the same thing over and over again. He's just pointing us back to Christ all the time. I have absolutely no idea what it takes to be a lawyer. None. I do know you have to know the law, yeah? I would have a fair idea you have to know the law. I don't know anything about medicine. Not a thing. But when I go to the doctor, I'm, 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 I'm hoping that they have done a wee bit of research somewhere along the line. If I was to go for brain surgery, I would hope that the surgeon would have studied and is continually studying the brain and how it works. Why is it that we as Christians 
are content to know a little bit about Jesus and expect to be spiritually mature. Why is it that we as Christians are content to know a little bit about Jesus and expect to be spiritually mature? We must know Jesus if we want to grow up into maturity. Paul, or Peter, sorry, I'm not used to saying Paul. Peter tells us who we are. We have obtained an equal faith. He says, then you have all the tools at your, your disposal to, to, to live a life of godliness. And then he outlines what that is. And then he goes on to say what that is. And, and there's a really interesting phrase here at the beginning of this list. For every reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with, with virtue, with virtue knowledge. For this reason, make every effort. Peter has not got this idea in his head of passive sanctification. What I mean by that? Becoming more like Christ will not just happen to us. It won't. And I don't know how, how, well, how much this analogy sticks, because uh, I'm literally just thinking on the spot now of this. But, uh, and I know <laughs> some people are panicking right now because they don't know where this is going. But I'm literally, so if I go, say there's a, you know, if I think that I will become more like Christ, just by, just, it'll just happen to me. Would that, would that be the same as me going, for example, to a bike race yesterday and thinking that I'll become a better cyclist? No. There's no chance. What's required for me, to, and I use this analogy a lot actually, what's required for me to become a better cyclist is that I eat less chocolate and that I do more training. That's generally the gist. And so this is what Peter says about the Christian life and becoming mature. Make every effort. And there's two, there's two pitfalls, there's two extremes that we need to avoid when we hear that phrase. And the two pitfalls and the two extremes are this. Legalism and the fact that you start to believe that it's all about you and, and everything you do makes you more like Christ because that's not true. And the other one is just passivism where you believe it'll just happen to you. Those are the two pitfalls. What does Peter, Peter gives us a better way than that though. What does Peter say? The clue's in the, in the text. He says, for this reason, make every effort. This text is the epitome of a phrase you will have heard me say a lot, grace-driven effort. Grace-driven effort. Why do we make every effort? Because Christ has given us everything. It is grace-driven. It is not legalism, nor is it passivism. We make every effort because He has given us everything. The more we understand Jesus, the more we get to know Jesus, the more we want to obey Jesus. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to understand Jesus, the more we want to serve Jesus. It's grace-driven effort. It's not legalism and it's not pacifism. 
doesn't just happen and we can't work for it. So, in finishing, Peter says you have obtained an equal faith. We're all the same. It's a level playing field. He says because God has given us all things and be so gracious to us that that leads us to an effort to, to these things that I'm going to just outline here in a moment. And he says, supplement. Make, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, the faith that you've been given, this equal standing that you've been given. And then he gives a list. And this list is very quickly split into three sections. The upward, the inward, and the outward. The upward, the inward, and the outward. And this is what we're finishing with, so, so bear with me. The upward. First of all, there has to be faith, right? He says, for this, every, for, the, for this reason, because God's given us everything, make every effort to supplement your faith. There has to be faith. There has to be a faith in God to begin with, because without that, all of the, all of the rest fall down. There has to be faith. To faith... We need to add virtue. Virtue is a really interesting word here. It is the same as, as the word Jesus describes himself as excellence. The word excellence. And when, when Peter says virtue, what he's basically saying is, as Jesus described himself as excellent, what Peter is basically saying is, I want you to be like Christ. Add Christ-likeness. To your faith, add Christ-likeness. And then knowledge. Knowledge of who? Knowledge of Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Those are the upward. The inward. Self-control. Steadfastness and godliness. Self-control. Without self-control, again, the rest fall down. They're all interlinked so much that if one is not there, then the rest fall. Peter says to self-control, I want you to, ask, to add steadfastness. And steadfastness is one of, the, one of these words where in today's culture, it's a hard one to swallow. Our culture today is not steadfast. Basically, this means stickability. This means sticking to the task, not wavering, being there. As Robbo said a couple of weeks ago, I love the phrase, turn up and shut up. <laughs> it's being there, steadfastness, stickability. Like, isn't that interesting that this is one of the, one of the like, things that Christ wants us to have most steadfastness, godliness. Verse 3 says, He has granted to us by His divine nature, divine power, everything that pertains to life and godliness. Godliness is a gift. And godliness has to be worked on. It's both a gift and an effort. And then the outward. Add to godliness, brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection, love. 
The first brotherly affection really is focusing on how we treat and respond and how we deal with brothers and sisters in the church. Uh, the love then is actually translated more towards care of all people. So the brotherly affection is, is, is in the church, and then the love is, is how we love all people outside of the church. And Peter's showing us here that, that just as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13, that, that you can say that you're a mature Christian, but if you don't have brotherly affection and if you don't have love and you don't love people, then you're not really mature at all. If you say you're a mature Christian and you gossip about members of the body, then you aren't really mature at all. If you say you're a mature Christian and you don't show love to those outside the body, then you're not really mature at all. You see, this list, virtue, faith, virtue, knowledge of Jesus, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love is the measure of a mature believer. It is the measure of a mature believer. Peter will go on to say in this chapter, do you want to know if you're a Christian? Do you want to know if you're a follower of Christ? Then look at that list. Look at that list. That's literally what he says. He says, you want to affirm your election and your calling? Those are the words that he uses. Look at that list. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. That's how you know. Now, what I would say about that is this. We're not all there yet. We're not all there yet. And so don't look at this list and think, oh my word, I can never, that's not me at all. Because hopefully it is you and hopefully it's an ever-increasing you. Because at the end of the day, we're all on a journey. And that's what I said at the start. We all have obtained a faith of equal standing and we're all in different places on the journey. If we're in Christ, but we're all on that journey. Who does that list sum up perfectly and in perfect measure? Christ. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, stickability, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And Peter calls us into Christian maturity and says, make every effort to be like that. Make every effort to be like that. Let me pray first. And then we'll take communion together. Father, we thank you for uh, the word that you have given us. 
And Father, we're confronted by it. That's the reality. We are often just confronted by it. And it's, it is the mirror that we hold up to ourselves and you hold up to us and, and show us who we are. And Father, for those who are in here this morning who love you and who know you and who are saved by you and who are part of your family, I pray that you would encourage them this morning. I pray that you would encourage them that they have obtained a faith of equal standing. Because of your righteousness, Jesus. Through nothing that we can bring, but through you. Father, I pray that through the Spirit you would challenge us, but you'd also help us to, to be more like the, this list that you've given us, that you have given us. Shape us and mold us more into the image of Christ, we pray. We love you. We thank you for the grace that you've given us because we need it. Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning, when we take communion, we are remembering Christ in all his goodness. Uh, and I suppose if I was to pick out one quality of, of that list, and when we think about the cross and we think about Jesus going to the cross, uh, the one quality that I probably shoot out in my mind is the, is the steadfastness. Is that even though in the Garden of Gethsemane he prayed to the Father, if this not be your way, take it from me, your will be done. And he was steadfast, and he was sure, and he went through with it. So that sinners like us could know him and be forgiven. What a grace. What a savior. And so if you love Jesus, if you know Jesus, please take communion. We're remembering his body broken and his blood shed for the sacrifice for our sin. Please do that. Uh, if you don't know Jesus yet and you want to find out more about Jesus, speak to me, speak to one of the elders, speak to someone you know who loves Jesus and knows Jesus. Uh, but I lovingly ask at this point that you don't take communion with us. We, we read in Scripture that wouldn't be good for you and you'd be proclaiming something that you don't believe in. And so I lovingly ask that you don't take communion with us. But let's worship Jesus. Let's come to Jesus. Worship King Jesus. Love King Jesus. Celebrate King Jesus. Remember King Jesus.